Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, What to Say When All Hope Seems Lost. Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you're in church and not in jail? Amen. Amen. So the title of my message today is, What to Say When All Hope Seems Lost. What to Say When All Hope Seems Lost. I preached this message about a year and a half ago under a different title. It was called, What Will Your Answer Be? But today, in light of our national circumstances, when it seems like the enemy has won and he's gloating about it, I thought a better title would be, What to Say When All Hope Seems Lost. What do you mean by that, Pastor Scott? Well, what I mean is this, what you believe on the inside will eventually work its way to the outside in the form of words that come out of your mouth. Simply put, you will say with your mouth what you really believe, whether it's good or whether it's bad. When tough times hit, as they inevitably will, when challenges arise, when all hope seems lost, what you believe And what you say in response is critical. In fact, many times, how you answer these challenges to your faith can mean the difference between life and death. Turn with me in your devices and your Bibles to Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21. We'll start off with King James and then we're going to read a couple other translations. This should be familiar to most of you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This is what the Amplified says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. The NCV version, I really like. What you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. Amen. So I think the meaning of this verse is clear no matter what translation you choose to read. If death and life are in the power of the tongue, then we should be more careful what we say, especially during times of crisis. Proverbs 15, 23, again, starting off King James Version. Proverbs 15, 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Listen to it in the ISV Version. An appropriate answer brings joy to a person, and a well-timed word is a good thing. Now listen to it in the NIRV, the nerve translation. Pastor, you got some nerve using that translation. (laughs) 
Joy is found in giving the right answer. And how good is a word spoken at the right time? So I ask you, when tough times hit, when challenges arise, when all hope seems lost, what will you say? Will it be an appropriate, well-timed answer? Will it be the right answer spoken at the right time? Will it be an answer of faith or will it be an answer of doubt and unbelief? With your words, will you set the stage for God to deliver and to save? Or will you open the door for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy? John 10.10, in the King James Version, Jesus speaking here, he said, the thief, that is the devil, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, it's not that God doesn't kill. He does from time to time as justice demands. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost and God took them. Remember when Herod got up and he gave glory to himself and not to the God of the universe and God sent an angel and with his sword he struck him dead. All Jesus is saying is that God will sometimes kill for justice' sake, but the only aim of the devil at all times is to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you see the difference? I want to talk to you about Elisha and the woman from Shunem, or as the King James puts her, the Shunammite woman. And since I've read it so many times in the King James Version, you will hear me use that term many times, the Shunammite woman. I want to share a story that's one of my favorites in all the Bible, a story that I believe is a prime example of what to say when you find yourself in the midst of crisis, when all hope seems lost. It's the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman from 2 Kings chapter 4. So if you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 8, but I got a little bit more intro to go. Now, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but I'm not going to cheat you by leaving any of it out because it's just so rich. It's just so full of revelation, and it's such a wonderful picture of the love of our Heavenly Father for His children. You simply have to hear the whole story. So 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 8, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I recommend when you read historical books and prophetic books in the Old Testament that you give yourself a break and read it in the New Living Translation because you can follow the flow of the story much more easily in plain, uh, everyday English. Amen? All right, so verse 8 says, One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who steps in or stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. 
Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, We appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Now, although she was wealthy, the Shunammite woman was evidently married to a man much older than she was, and the chances of her having a son were slim, and not having an heir to their great wealth was something that evidently was weighing on her soul. And it seems that Gehazi picked up on it in his conversations with the family that treated him and his master so kindly. It was a deep desire of her heart one that she considered impossible, nevertheless one that she held in her heart, that God would somehow, some way, grant her a son, an heir, someone who would take care of her after her husband passed on. So the birth of a son represented a hope and a future to the Shunammite woman. Amen? Verse 15. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Now, here's my paraphrase of what she said. Don't you be lying to me, man of God. This means way too much to me for you to be kidding around. I got to know if you're serious when you say I'm going to have a son. Verse 17. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Now, I find that precious and moving. In fact, when I read this story, I'm often moved to tears. Verse 18, one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home. And his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime, he died. Sounds to me like he had some kind of brain aneurysm. And that wasn't something that the ancient Israelites were really familiar with. And he died. Verse 21. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. 
Notice her husband said, why are you going to Mount Carmel to see the prophet? There's no new moon festival. There's nothing religious going on. What reason do you have to go see the prophet? And she didn't even tell him that his son was dead. She just said, it will be all right. At this point, the Shunammite woman was presented with her first opportunity when she spoke to her husband. He asked the question why she was going to Mount Carmel. This was her first opportunity to speak an appropriate word, to speak a word in due season, to say the right thing at the right time. At a time of extreme crisis in her life, when her son was dead and all hope was lost, her answer was an answer of faith. She told her husband, it will be all right. You know, one of my daughters, daughters, I got three daughters. I was raised with three brothers. You know, one of my daughters, and I won't name her, she is not here today, <laughs> has struggled in the past with depression and letting the challenges of life overwhelm her. And over the years, I have taught her and said to her, listen, honey, if you can't think of anything else to say when you feel overwhelmed like that, just say this. God is going to take care of me and everything is going to be all right. Just say that if you can't think of anything else to say. And you know what? She uses that and it works for her. Amen. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. In other words, don't be worried about my comfort. Let's go see the man of God. So evidently, a servant and a donkey were delivered fairly quickly to the Shunammite woman, and they were off on their journey from Shunam to Mount Carmel, where the prophet Elijah lived. Now, just so you know, it was no lightweight trip. I did a little check-in, and today, if you take Route 672 in Israel from Shunem to Carmel, it's about 30 miles. And since their roads were not as good as the modern roads in Israel today, I'd venture to say that that was probably a long, bumpy, dusty donkey ride to see the man of God. It was an ordeal in and of itself. Probably took eight to ten hours. Verse 25. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Now, I'm telling you this ahead of time for a reason. Just store it away. In the King James, it actually asks three separate questions like this. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you? Is everything all right with your husband? Is everything all right with your child? Three separate questions. Now, here again, when Gehazi reached the woman... She was presented with another opportunity to speak an appropriate word, to speak a word in due season, to say the right thing at the right time. 
And not just an answer to one question, but now an answer to three questions. And her answer to all of them was the same, even though she said it just one time. So in effect, when Gehazi asked her, is everything all right with you? She said, everything is fine. When he asked, is everything all right with your husband? She said, everything is fine. When he asked, is everything all right with your child? She said, everything is fine. Don't you know that was the hardest of the three things to say? And she said this in the darkest hour of her life when her boy had been dead, by my calculations, anywhere from eight to ten hours. When all hope seemed lost, she didn't say, I saw him hold his head until he passed out on my lap. She didn't say, I heard him breathe his last breath. She didn't say, I laid his lifeless body on the prophet's bed. She said what she believed. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. She was calling those things that be not as though they were. Listen to me. 850 years before Jesus taught us that you can have what you say if you don't doubt. Amen? Way ahead of her time. Verse 27. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, Don't deceive me and get my hopes up? I want you to notice, even though she's pleading and she's holding his feet and she's sobbing and she's weeping, she did not say one time, My son is dead. Not one time. But you know that she was saying it in a roundabout way, and I will paraphrase what I believe she was communicating to the prophet. You made a promise to me, man of God. You promised me a son. And as a prophet, you represent God to me. And I don't believe God gave me a son just to have him die in my lap as a young boy. That boy is my hope. That boy is my future. Elijah knew exactly what she meant, whether she said that or not. He knew that's what she meant. Verse 29. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Don't you know, before you raise the dead, you're going to spend some time in prayer. Amen. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. 
And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. You know, there's a little joke that I, that I like to pull on people when they sneeze. You know, sometimes people have these sneezing attacks, and they go, Achoo, achoo, achoo. I'll go four more times, and you'll be raised from the dead. <laughs> Most of the time, they don't know what I'm talking about. All right, verse 36, then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said, and when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Isn't that a picture Of the loving Heavenly Father. Willing to go the extra mile. Even after the child had been dead by this time, I'm reckoning 16 to 20 hours. Now I want to shift here just a little bit. I want you to see something that you won't catch in a surface reading of this story. Listen to me now. I've read it many, many times. Four times the Shunammite woman was given an opportunity to answer questions concerning the death of her son. Number one, why was she going to see the prophet Elisha? Number two, was everything all right with her? Number three, was everything all right with her husband? Number four, was everything all right with her son? And each time, even though her son was already dead, when she was asked these questions, the answer was always the same. It will be all right. Everything is fine. It will be all right. Everything is fine. Now, to understand what I'm about to talk about, I have to give you a short teaching on the anointing. When the Bible talks about the anointing, unless it specifies anointing with oil, it is talking about the concentrated power and presence of God. And the Bible tells us that Elisha had been given a double portion of the anointing that was on his spiritual father, Elijah. In fact, if you study it out, there was so much anointing on Elisha that it was lingering on his bones long after he had been dead and buried. In 2 Kings 13, 21, you can read the story of a burial detail. They were burying a man in a cemetery, and they saw in the distance a band of raiders coming. And so to make sure that they could escape, they lowered him into the tomb of Elisha rather than digging his own grave or putting him in the designated place that they had for him, which evidently wasn't really convenient. So they lowered him into the tomb of Elisha. And the Bible says when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he came back to life again. So what do you learn from that? Evidently, the anointing can attach itself to a human body, and it can linger for a long time, even after that person is dead. That anointing is still there. Very mysterious, very cool, and very powerful to think about. So the only way that this miracle can be understood is to understand that the anointing is transferable. It is transferable. 
the anointing of the Lord was transferred from the bones of Elisha into the body of the dead man, and he came back to life. Now, in Acts chapter 19 of the New Testament, we find that the Apostle Paul, the Bible says, God did special, extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul, so much so that they took cloths to his body, and then they took the cloths that absorbed the anointing that was on his body to those that were sick, and they were healed, and they would lay them on them, and they would be healed, and also the demon-possessed, they would lay these cloths on the demon-possessed, and they would be delivered. Again, the only way that makes any sense is if the anointing is transferable. Amen. All right. So back to the Shunammite woman. Four times the Shunammite woman said what she believed. It will be all right. Everything is fine. And four times the anointing was released into the body of her son. Let me count them for you. Number one. The woman put her dead son on the bed of Elisha. Elisha's anointing was on that bed, and it transferred into her son. Number two, Gehazi put Elijah's staff on the dead boy's body. His anointing was on that staff and was released into her son. Number three, Elijah put his body on the dead boy's body, and Elisha's anointing was directly transferred from his body to the body of the boy. Number four, Elisha put his body on the dead boy's body again, and again the anointing was transferred into the body of the boy. When enough of the anointing had accumulated on the body of her son, the Shunammite woman's son was raised from the dead. Praise God. I don't think this was a coincidence. Four answers of faith, four releases of the anointing. In fact, I believe it's a powerful type of what can happen when we determine that we will use the power of the tongue wisely, that we will be careful with our words, especially in times of crisis, especially in times of crisis. You can't lose your head you got to speak what you believe. When we speak words of life, words that line up with God's word and God's promises, words of faith, the anointing is released into the spiritual atmosphere against whatever challenge or difficulty we may be facing. When we speak words of death, we open the door for the enemy to bring death and destruction into our lives. I know that sounds harsh, but you got to hear it. So I ask you again, when tough times hit, when challenges arise, when all hope seems lost, what will you say? Because it's an extension of what you believe on the inside. What will you say? Will it be a word spoken in due season? Will it be an appropriate, well-timed answer? Will it be the right answer spoken at the right time? Will it be an answer of faith or will it be an answer of doubt and fear? With your words, will you set the stage for God to deliver and to save? Or will you open the door for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy? It's entirely up to you. Amen? Amen.
We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, What to Say When All Hope Seems Lost. If you are blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.